Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today our guest is Ryan Christopher Nunes. Thanks for being on the show, Ryan. Whitney, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Ryan and I met at the old Capitol Conference, I think, in Dallas last year, and we've got to communicate numerous times since then. It's been great to get to know him and just watch he and his partner just grow their business and what they're doing. Looking forward to this conversation. But a little about him. He's the number one salesperson leading oil and gas derivative sales teams while working at Wall Street Banks for 13 years. Transitioned to multifamily last spring and has co-sponsored $34 million in assets and is a past investor in over 2,700 units across Texas, Ohio, Florida, Phoenix, and Georgia. He launched Life Changing Capital last year and is a data-driven multifamily syndicator that takes an institutional approach to a non-institutional segment of the asset class. So looking forward to getting into that, Ryan. Give the listeners a little more about who you are, and let's jump into what you're doing at Life Changing Capital. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Whitney. Thanks again for having me on the show. So I grew up in the East Coast in New Jersey. I did my undergrad at Georgetown, undergrad in finance and international business, and then started working in New Jersey for a utility company and got involved in their gas trading business. Started doing my MBA part-time nights and weekends and uh, knew that I wanted to work on Wall Street. So kind of segued, given my gas and power background into Wall Street banks on their oil and gas commodity trading desks, and just had a series of wins where a um, series of quick promotions was promoted to managing director by the time I was 30 and was one of the one, youngest ones in my class and um, just really enjoyed the space, was the right spot at the right time and really enjoyed running different sales teams and working with clients and did that for a number of years, 13 years in total. And there was ups and downs in the commodities business, just like we're having ups and downs and both in the financial markets and the commodities business today. And for a number of years, just was thinking about as we were having kids, just thought about what are some things that I can do to engage them, to build a legacy for them, as well as a hedge for my career. And so had looked at a lot of different things. I looked at starting some schools and very passionate about education, had looked at some music schools, had looked at some franchises. And unfortunately, none of those were the right fit for my skill set and background and just my passion. And then had learned about multifamily through a friend and just attended a few different events and realized this is something that I had been looking for for a long time. Wasn't interested in single family. I own a house here in Houston and just didn't want to add to that exposure, but was very much interested in running a business. And when I learned about the syndications and capital raising and deal analysis and networking, it just checked all the right boxes. And particularly as I was looking for something that was good for my transferable skills, was good for legacy building. Um, and then the last one was something that had amazing tax benefits. I had a fair amount of income that I wanted to tax shelter last year in 2019. 
and multifamily was just uh, an incredible way to do that. And so decided to jump into the space and was really looking for, I needed from a tax perspective to be a co-sponsor on deals so that I could become a real estate professional and achieve the tax benefits that I wanted to achieve to reduce my taxable income or to take that as close to zero as possible. And so I was looking for folks that had a fair amount of more experience than I had and that had live deals that were getting ready to close and moved pretty quickly. The space that I came from was a very quick, fast-moving, fast-paced environment. And so I had to find some folks that I could trust, get invested in deals, and then also you know, work on the asset management side. I really wanted to get my hands dirty with the business to really learn it. That's just how I've gone about being successful in my career is digging real deep and learning a ton and, you know, figuring out, okay, well, here's what I know. Here's how I've been successful. How can I apply that to multifamily? And so just a few months into it, as we were managing some of the assets, we have one in Dallas, 154 units and 238 units in Athens, Georgia. You know, it just was a great opportunity for me to get involved and to apply some of the principles and views that I had that helped gain confidence in my skill set and applying that to multifamily. So, you know, I get questions all the time. And the reason I think of this right now, just last night, I had a call with a gentleman who it seems so similar, a very successful career. He's been at this corporate position for 13 to 15 years, but had really moved his way up. And, you know, finally, it's just like, okay. I'm just not passionate about this. I get this call often, it seems, but people want to know about how I transitioned from, okay, I've got this career path, whether it's, you know, military, law enforcement, federal agent, you know, then it's like, okay, well now, you know, I'm doing real estate and they want to know about that transition and, you know, how I did that. And and I'd love to hear your story a little bit. I dive in there a little bit. I know there's listeners who are also in the same boat and they're either wanting to make the transition or they're thinking, well, what does that need to look like? What does that need to look like with my employer potentially? Or when do I know that I can make that transition? And so why don't we dive in there just a little bit and talk about your transition? Because it's that number one salesperson leading oil and gas sales. I mean, you didn't do that by sitting on your hands too long, right? I mean, you put a lot of time and effort into that, but then to transition, that's a big decision. It's a hard decision. Yeah, Let's dive in there a little bit. And how did you make the transition? When did you know that it's time and maybe what sparked that? Sure. You know, my story is probably a little bit different than most folks. Fortunately, you know, I was in a spot where we had saved a fair amount of money. I think, you know, we just tried to save in the good years and for periods that might've been a little bit drier. And so it was kind of a pursuit of passion, if you will. And I've always been someone that likes challenges. And here was an opportunity. I was searching for something for so many years. I would probably say a good four or five years I was looking for what other businesses could I start. A few times it was a New Year's goal to start something and just been very entrepreneurial in my life and, you know, have run businesses. You know, the businesses I ran on Wall Street were very entrepreneurial in nature. So I've had the business background and have had the desire and motivation and ability to lead teams. And for this, it really came down to what's something that I'm passionate about. And I think for me, you know, the tenant experience was something that I just felt a certain calling to, if you will, a certain passion for wanting to exceed expectations at a property and exceed a level of customer service. And for me, having worked on Wall Street and been in sales, you know, your typical sales role, for me, it never felt like I was selling something. It always felt like it was a customer service function and it was just trying to add value. 
each and every day. And whether that was through, you know, commentary, whether that was through indications without asking for something, you know, I'm here to add value and be helpful. That's always been my approach, that transparency and upfront honesty and, and value add. And I just felt the business would, you know, and has shown itself that it would just come naturally as an extension of being close to clients and clients that would have their guard down because they didn't feel like they were being sold something aggressively, but looking to someone's looking to add value. So for me, it was an opportunity where I had wanted to try something different for a while and decided to put my career on pause. And it wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing, you know, dipping my toe in a little bit. I did have to move a fair amount of personal capital last year. So I wanted all my eyes on the ball, you know, full attention. And just given that I didn't want to, you know, make errors in judgment in terms of, you know, investing in people and investing in assets. So really wanted to devote myself. So when you left the day position, you said you could pause it, put it on pause. So that's something you could go back to if you had to? I would just have to network and find other institutions that would be looking okay. for for that similar skill set. But yeah, unfortunately in that business, if you step away, you step away. You don't go back to the same institution or so forth. So yeah. that was just the decision that I made. The past, let's call it year or so has been, you know, amazing journey where I've woken up every morning with a lot of passion and excitement to just improve and get as quickly up the learning curve so that we can add as much value to others and we can find the best assets for investors. You mentioned you saved for a while. I'm not going to ask you to the penny, but maybe you have a recommendation for the listeners like, well, maybe you should have a year's worth of expenses in the bank or six months? Or was there a number like that that said, okay, you know, you're talking to your wife, okay, honey, you know, we can live for this long before I've got to go back and find a J-O-B. How did you think through that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had a professor that was a very senior person on Wall Street when I was at NYU. And he always said that Wall Street people are paranoid. You know, they go in every day and they're never sure if that's going to be their last day, just because that's how things are. Outside of professional athletes and rock stars, Wall Street compensation is really amazing. And so I always felt like that lesson stuck with me. And so it was always being conservative and investing and really trying to live on a low means basis so that I would have the flexibility to do things and sleep well at night. I mean, we have no debt. Our house is paid for and so forth. And that's kind of the decision that I made. I never wanted to feel that I was indebted to banks and other institutions. And so, you know, to answer your question directly, I mean, you know, frankly, we have four years of living expenses that we've just set aside. Just for me, that's what felt comfortable, just having a fair amount of cash for a rainy day and so that I could try different things and not be worried. No, I think that's smart. If you only have a month or two set aside, you're already in trouble. <laughs> no, I appreciate you sharing that because I've had that question. Well, you know, when do I know it's right? When do I know I can step out and try to do this? And so then you and your partner have done well, and maybe we have time to talk about that a little bit, but ultimately... What was the step for you learning this business and being able to make this happen? Not just everybody happens as quick as it has for you or with the success you've had. What were some of the key steps that you took to having the success that you have in a short period of time? For sure. So, you know, I think also part of it is it's one year in multifamily, but it's 18 years or so of working business experience. And frankly, a large part of that on Wall Street. So, you know, with that, there was already a lot of fertile soil. The foundation was there. So it just became, okay, I need to just understand how this market trades. What are the dynamics? What are the fundamentals of it? And so part of that was, okay, let me see how people underwrite, analyze deals. Let me really understand the Excel work behind it. And let me understand the pain points. 
you know, moving cap rate here and just quickly finding out, okay, this cell and this model will really change returns, you know, massively. So why is that cell important? And just asking tons of questions. I decided that I was going to be purposefully passive to start with and invest with people that were willing to invest with me in terms of invest their time and answer a lot of questions that I had. And just, you know, from that, I could judge level of transparency. And if that was the dating phase, how it would look like when, you know, we're married and I'm invested in their deal. So that was something that I decided to do is really dig in hard to the Excel modeling, ask tons and tons and tons of questions. And that's just been my background, intellectually curious. So, you know, enjoy the learning process and read as much as I could, watch as many YouTube videos as possible. And so it's just a fully immersive experience. A lot of that was why I needed to just dedicate the last year to doing it because I felt like to do it justice and to deploy that amount of capital, I needed to have full attention to it. How much weight would you put on the passive investing that you did as far as to learning the business? Because I get that question as well. Should I invest passively first? Is that going to help me learn the business? Is that going to benefit me when my ultimate goal is to become an operator? What would you say? Yeah, I would say it definitely helped, right? I mean, I would rather stub my toe in a passive deal than in a deal that I'm sponsoring because that starts your track record, right? When you're sponsoring deals. So for me, the passive, it was quicker diversification. You know, you can write smaller checks in passive deals. I've invested in Arizona, Florida, Ohio, Texas, and different locations, just in small amounts to spread that risk. And so for me, you know, diversification was just really important. Um, and then it was also a way to get to know people and get to know sponsors, get to know submarkets, and get to know how they think about assets, kind of what their reporting is like. And then also from that, that was a learning experience in terms of how would I do it? What can we cherry pick from their ideas and apply to what we're doing? So I would say, yes, passive investing, if you have the capital to do it first, that's a smart way. And frankly, if you have time to kind of leg into the market, if you will, and that's smart, right? I didn't have the luxury of time. I had a window that by December 31st, 2019, that was kind of the wall, if you will, where I had to deploy a fair amount of capital and get the tax benefits that I needed to get to tax shelter my income. So if you do have the luxury of time, yes, passive investments. Now for sure, for people that are investing passively, just make sure you can trust your partners. That's so, so critical. What's that relationship been like, you know, as far as working with those operators, really with the intention of you learning the business? You know, there's some operators that will cater to that a lot more than others. And I just wonder, you know, what that experience has been like for you. For sure. You know, part of it was I sat down with these folks a few times and also kind of did some reference checks, if you will, just talk with other people and, you know, to learn about the deals they've done, to learn about them and their character and so forth. And, you know, all of that checked out. So to me, that was super, super important. They were also kind of just the goal setting, like, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I want to learn. I want to get my hands dirty. And I was just very open and honest. I think I can add a lot of value. And so they were very open. They've been helpful, right? In terms of being on asset management calls and writing reports, doing some analysis. I mean, all of that. And, you know, I think that helped them, but it also, you know, was very beneficial in terms of providing confidence for us looking at our own deals. And my partner who's in California is Jeff Yang and it's a fantastic partner. And so just really excited as you know, we've underwritten probably 200 plus deals in the past, you know, nine months or so. Give me just a couple things that were just key in getting to the first couple deals. In terms of the first deals I passively invested in or? No, no. As on the active side, if you had to pick out just, let's say two things that like you would say, okay, talking to somebody else, you know, here's 
two top things that helped me to get to the first few deals on the active side? Yeah, I think, you know, on the active side, in terms of what we decided to do, we took a long-term approach to it. And so we decided to build our team. And when I say team, meaning service providers and property managers in different sub-markets, folks we're going to use on the legal side, folks we're going to use on the financing side, insurance, property tax consultants. We wanted to do all that groundwork first so that when we went out to brokers and we scheduled a tour to Dallas and sat down with the top brokers in the region, you know, the first question they would ask is, why should we show you a deal? Like, why would we award you a deal? And they were like, who would you use for property management? And we were like, well, in this market, we use this property manager and that submarket down the road, we would use this. And so they saw the level of work that we did. And so then we were at a spot. We wanted to make sure that if they gave us a deal, we could underwrite it and provide feedback within 24 hours. And so when we were ready to do that, then we were ready to sit down and talk with them. So I think that's one thing is that, you know, before you reach out to brokers, just make sure you have your team. You only have one time to make a first impression, right? So make sure that you know what you're going to do, what you're going to say. If someone gives you a deal that you can come back with concrete feedback, you know, and that's just a principle that I've followed throughout my career is that a lot of people, unfortunately, just don't follow up. And for me, it's about the follow-up. I feel like that's where my career has been differentiated from a number of folks, and particularly in sales. It's, it's all about the follow-up. And you, know, you told me that you were looking at this last time we talked, and so I wanted to see what your thoughts are on this or that. And the same thing here is that brokers are on the side that I were on when I was you know, on the sell side at banks is they're trying to sell transactions and deals. And so they want to see that you're following up if they show you something. And so for me, I understood what that was like. And I understood how it could be frustrating when people didn't follow up and you sent them an idea or spent time to answer their questions. So, you know, that's something that we're very keen on. I mean, 24 hour feedback to brokers, you know, pretty detailed, not a slow, maybe, but a pretty quick, Hey, we're going to spend more time or no, this just doesn't fit for X, Y, and Z reason. Love that. This business is so much about following up. It doesn't matter if it's the broker or if it's an investor. So Ryan, great advice. No doubt about it. I couldn't agree more. Doesn't matter if you're going to a conference or you're talking to an investor or talking to a broker, you better be following up. But just a few final questions before we run out of time. What's been the hardest part of the syndication process or business for you? You know, I would say the last nine months, right, has been a time where pricing has just felt pretty rich. And I think what's been really hard is that you've had to stretch your underwriting to get to whisper asking prices. And there's been times where we've actually bid over asking price. There was a deal where we bid 500,000 over asking and someone bid like 1.1 million over asking. And that was probably like 10% plus over the asking price. So that's a sizable premium. And so that was really hard to see some of these transactions go. And there's no room for hiccup in the model, right? If you're forecasting three plus or two plus percent rent growth and the market declines, like that impacts your hold period significantly. So for us, we wanted to really do as much de-risking as possible. And that's hard to do and win deals in this market. You know, I think that's going to change though. You know, I think we're in a spot where the next few quarters, as we have this whole COVID-19 crisis and unfortunate layoffs and the like, I think that's going to provide opportunities for people that for valuations come back down to earth. You're probably thankful now you didn't pay 10% over. Exactly. I mean, we look at a lot of deals. We had a lot of heartburn over. We're thankful that those deals didn't get awarded to us. So... Tell me a couple of ways that you were prepared for this downturn. Let's say go back before you knew it was going to happen. How were you preparing for this? 
I've been through a lot of market cycles, you know, in commodities, there has been a lot more market cycles than there has been in terms of equity markets. There's just a lot of movement in the commodity market. So, you know, feeling that agony and feeling when things just don't fit right in terms of pricing. And so we were just being conservative. We would just say, here's a number and this is what we're comfortable with. And we think that this is where it should trade. And this is what the property manager is comfortable with. This is what we're comfortable with. And here's what something traded down the street. And so we would just say like, here's all the basis for how we came to the valuation. And so those are just facts. And so with that, if people wanted to overpay, that was what it was. But we felt because if there were a COVID-19 situation, we didn't want to have overly aggressive underwriting. And so I think that's one way we prepared by just making sure, which is a huge part of it, is just making sure that you win the deals that you want to win because you've priced them appropriately. So I think the underwriting and the analysis up front is key to being able to operate during a financial crisis. Secondly, just making sure you have adequate, for our modeling, we always put in buffers around CapEx and different numbers so that we have adequate cushion. We hold things in the back pocket in terms of, hey, we could do this at the property to boost rents if things, if we need a plan B to boost income or so forth. So you have to have some area for cushion, otherwise it's going to be tough. And so then that translates into reality when you're operating the asset, right, is that you have some cushion. So that's just critical. And so, you know, you're looking at some cash reserves that could cover in some cases, you know, 20 or so months of debt service. So that's a great position to be in. So we're fortunate to have those opportunities. What's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? You know, honestly, from the time that I started in this space, I've probably built, redone, tweaked 50 to 60 iterations of my model, you know, my valuation model. And so with that, I want to see data cut and analyzed a certain way. And so there's this kind of relentless pursuit of perfection in terms of improvement and figuring out, hey, what could I add to this or improve it so it takes me less time to get to a more accurate answer? So that's one thing. I would just say there's always room for improvement. And I'm seeing that. And a lot of it is having a really strong partner that you look up to, to bounce ideas off of. So that's just one very, very critical thing. It's hard to do this alone. This is definitely a team sport, but I would even say it's more of a partnership sport. Having that person there to run ideas by has just been critical to vast improvement. What's been the number one thing that's contributed to your success? It's a combination of my background, the follow-up, and then, you know, the partners and people that I've associated myself with that have just been supportive and really strong. So I would say it's those things in total. I don't know if there's one particular thing, but I feel that my background working on Wall Street and putting in lots of hours and working in very volatile conditions where markets move 10% in a day or in a few minutes kind of prepared me for the real estate markets. And where are you finding investors right now? You know, people that have known, liked, and trusted me for time, you know, folks that I've rubbed shoulders with in my career in oil and gas. And actually, this is kind of real estate and multifamily in particular, which is 100% my focus, is high occupancy asset that just has really good fundamental trends with it, right? We're becoming a nation of renters. That whole story, I think, has resonated well with my investor base, as well as the deep level of analytics that we do on assets and the level of transparency. So, you know, folks that have known me and know that 
it's a very transparent investment opportunity. They can ask any questions and there's no dumb questions. And we've thought critically through the pros and cons of the transaction. We've kind of mapped those out. Any new ways that you're finding people outside of maybe your old contacts? I think just going to different real estate meetups and Whitney, with your inspiration, I started a podcast. So that's gotten some following and that just creates more conversations and networking opportunities and people that have reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to chat with you and hear more about your background and what you're all up to. And would love to hear about any deals and so forth that you all have. So that's been one way for sure. You have to kind of get out of the shell, get out of your comfort zone and proactively visit with folks. And how do you like to give back? You know, we give back in a few ways. So I grew up playing in a band in high school. It was probably one of the more life-changing experiences that I've had. I had two good friends in high school and we wrote all our music because we couldn't play cover songs. We just weren't good enough. So, you know, with that, I wanted my kids to have just that experience. And so part of what I had mentioned in, earlier in the podcast was looking at music franchises. And frankly, I just didn't want to charge people the rates that the franchisor was asking. And I decided to just go to my kid's school. They go to a school here in Houston and decided that I was just going to sit down with the principal and the head of the PTO and say, I would love to give back. And here's a unique way I can give back. And that's I could coach a rock band at the school. And so they said, all I need is a room. And if the PTO could buy some speakers and so forth, that would be great. I'll find the other equipment. And so they said, yeah, that works. You know, here's a great room in the central campus. And so we started that just over a year ago and it's been great. The kids have had an awesome opportunity to grow their friendships and, you know, to play in front of their classmates and coach basketball. And I honestly try to do this for people that know me. If anyone has a need, I just try to say, say, I'm never going to deny someone. I always try to help out in any way possible, whether that's of my time or of my treasure. That's a very unique way of giving back. And I've never heard that from anybody else on the show anyway. I was just going to the school and helping start something like that. That's incredible. Ryan, I appreciate you just sharing your transition from one career and just shifting completely. It's not an easy thing to do, that's for sure. And like I said, I get questions almost weekly from people trying to do the same thing and wondering how I've done that. So thank you again for sharing your story and how you've been successful at it. But tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and also tell them about your podcast. Yeah, for sure. You can reach me on email. It's ryan at lifechangingcapital.com, or you can go to my website, lifechangingcapital.com. The podcast is on YouTube. It should be on Apple soon. Whitney was one of our guests. So it's a great podcast there. We've had a number of episodes, but it's something that's a little bit more thematic and that is on YouTube. It's called Multifamily Rockstars. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.